Welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 196. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. Today we're discussing Voyager's second season episodes, Meld, Dreadnought, and Death Wish. Here we go. Meld, Season 2, Episode 16, Production Code 133, Original Air Date, February 5th, 1996, Directed by Cliff Bowl, Story by Michael Sussman, Teleplay by Michael Piller, Music Composed by David Bell. Guest cast include Brad Dourif as Lon Suter, Angela Dorman as Ricky, and Simon Billig as Hogan. A crew member named Darwin is found dead, and an investigation soon uncovers a murder. It is discovered that Lone Suter, a Betazoid, killed him because he did not like the way Darwin looked at him. To discover the reasoning behind Suter's admittedly senseless act, Tuvok initiates a mind meld with Suter. This causes Suter's violent impulses to be transferred to Tuvok, giving Suter a sense of calm but causing Tuvok to experience uncontrollable violent urges. Why did you kill him, Mr. Suter? No reason. Oh, joy. You know, <laughs> I've had a lot of, uh, I don't know, maybe I've been a little bit down on some of the groups of three, these first couple seasons of Voyager. But today, today is a good example of the kind of Voyager episodes I like, pretty much all of them. You know, I think that, you know, of course, Death Wish is absolutely exceptional. But I think Melt is excellent. And I think Dreadnought is very solid. The kind, you know, so it, it just kind of felt good to go through these three episodes for the first time in a while, you know, uh, it just reminded me of the kind of feelings that I'm hoping to have much more frequently as we get deeper into Voyager's run. So let's talk meld. Um, Adam, you want to start us on meld? Sure. Um, yeah, I'd agree with you, Brian. I think we had three solid episodes for sure this time around. I mean, season two has been kind of a, been kind of a trek, say to say the least. You know, usually we might have one good episode. I think the last podcast we did all three, we didn't really care for. So it's nice to have three three episodes in a row that um, I liked, and it sounds like you did. We'll find out if Steve did as well. Meld, um, I thought it was a very good episode. Um, it's an interesting take. You know, we've never never really seen like a murder on um, you know on a starship. I mean, there's been, I think there was an episode in next gen where a murder took place, like when the enterprise was in space dock, but this is actually a murder investigation. So I thought it was kind of an interesting take, you know, you have this character suitor, he's Betazoid, So you don't quite expect that from him. And then we learn later in the episode that he doesn't feel anything except these violent urges. Um, we get Tuvok who just can't understand the logic of um, somebody just murdering somebody just because of the way they look at him. So, you know, it's interesting to see the conflict that, that goes on in, within him. And, um, you know, later on in the episode after he's done the mind meld with um, Suter, you know, all these violent urges come out of him, you know, especially for um, Neelix. So, you know, we <laughs> it's kind of funny. We get that scene in sickbay where Tuvok is, um, you know, basically insulting Janeway. It kind of, it kind of reminded me of the previous episode where Paris is doing the same thing to Janeway. So it kind of brought me back to the, the last episode, but um, in this case, the episode was a lot better, you know, and if you see it on its own without watching the last episode, it, it wouldn't, wouldn't have bothered me, but I'm like, yeah, I just saw this in the last episode, but that was, that was just kind of the funny thing that I wrote down in my notes, but um, overall it's, um, it's, it's not really a mystery. I mean, cause it's solved really quickly, but I mean, the mystery is in like, how does um, Tuvok, um, deal with 
with what he's been given from Suter. And that's um, kind of the interesting storyline to me. Totally. See? Yeah. I, yeah, I haven't, I enjoyed all three episodes of this round as well. And uh, yeah, I, I always like this episode too. It's, it's interesting. Um, it's kind of, a, you know, one of these kind of things where a strange set of circumstances allows you to kind of deconstruct a character and see, you know, break them down, take, take away something from them that, helps define them and see what's left like with Tuvok and his emotional control and uh and then uh, conversely applying that kind of control to someone like Suter and seeing what you get and it just kind of shows how chaotic we all are you know it's you know it's we're not that none of us are all that far from you know having having a these kind of uh you know, urges or, you know, executing on those kind of feelings that would be, you know, criminal or psychotic or whatever. It's, you know, this kind of stuff is deep in all of us. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I thought this was really interesting and it does, I, if, while we're kind of just talking about broad, you know, things, likes and dislikes, one thing I never did like that kind of starts here is this whole setting up Paris to be this infiltrator of the, of the nonsense with the, uh, yeah. the Maki guy. I never did like that kind of stuff. And then it's like, it took me a while to remember that's what's going on here. It's kind of like, Oh, here's Sandrine's again. And we're in there another game of chance. No, they, uh, really, uh, hit Paris hard. Chakotay really hits him hard with the discipline and such. And it's like, Oh yeah, this, this crap. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, that's a small thing. It just takes up a little bit of time, but uh, otherwise, yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. Yeah. It's just that the tone of that little B story is so like, I don't know, light that it's, it's just, it, it's too different when you cut between that and this psychotic mind meld, you know, mm-hmm. and Tuvok, getting so violent it's just like what no uh uh-uh. yeah yeah that's that's the one thing in this episode that holds it back it's not that the b story thing is terrible it's just that's too light of a thing to be in this episode you know uh but yeah i remember too feeling a little like it's kind of lame the way they they set this up yeah it's not to me it wasn't even really a b story because i mean you know basically he's disciplining paris like what by about halfway through the episode you know he's kind of caught on to this thing that could be maybe i might be mistaken but it felt like more like a c <laughs> a c line and i know that you know they're setting this up for you know when paris leaves leaves the ship um somewhere down the line um <laughs> seems like they spent a lot of you know so this they did this episode i think there was a previous there was a previous episode where paris was kind of being jerky um, so they spent a, like spent several episodes kind of setting this thing up um, for Paris to leave the ship. <laughs> um, it is kind of weird, but at the same time, I see why they're doing it for that episode down the line. But um, I don't think they needed to go quite this far. It could have just been like a quick scene. Mm-hmm. They didn't need to do like a whole storyline. And I would agree with both you guys that it's it's kind of it doesn't fit um, Tuvok's, um it doesn't fit the episode. I think maybe, you know, they could have done this, but maybe just done it in a scene instead of like, you know, kind of drawing it out into three or four throughout the episode. I specifically remember when seeing these the first time, and this was back when I watched this with uh, several friends pretty much every week and nobody liked this. I mean, I didn't see it coming. I didn't figure, Oh, this is some kind of setup. Instead, it just seemed like, why is he a jerk all of a sudden? Why are we, why is he a jerk? I don't like it. And (laughs) that's what, that's what I remember about it. 
do you think it'd been more interesting if we caught from the very beginning, you know, Janeway pulling Paris into the office? So where, where the audience knows what's going on, but not necessarily the rest of the crew. I don't know. Maybe it would have been better to know. do it that way. Well, I think part of it is just because, you know, he started off as more of a jerk and he came around yeah. enough that it it feels like yeah we're backpedaling and you know, what reason does he have to yeah to go back to those ways you know it doesn't it's it makes it feel like it's un it's undoing everything that's been happening in the last year and a half and it makes you feel like you don't know him and 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 doesn't he respect everybody else yeah it'd be like uh it'd be like if all of a sudden um neelix started being super jealous again. That'd be about the only worst thing I could imagine is like, let's get let's bring that <laughs> on. <laughs> then we'd be wanting to see that scene again and again where uh, in the holodeck. Where two- <laughs> <Helps them out. laughs> that scene's pretty horrific, isn't it? I mean, it's pretty. Yeah, yeah. Cause it, it, oh, he, he doesn't, it, he's not knocking him out. He's killing him. Right. Yeah. 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 It's strangling him to death. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I had something in my notes. Was is that like Tuvok's office that they were in when he was questioning Suterin? I mean, is that the same room that he's in in uh, Death Wish when Quinn comes to enlist his services? Well, maybe. Hmm. Maybe, but yeah, there was some artwork on the back of the wall. It just kind of just struck me because I'm like, oh, I've never seen this before. And I don't remember seeing it before. It's like his own little office. And the reason I I say that, you know, he's always in the mess hall doing work, and I'm like, well, if he's so annoyed by Neelix, why doesn't he just sit in his office and do his work? <laughs> Yeah, if you really was that annoyed, you'd just not, yeah, stay in your quarters or something, whatever, if you don't have an office. Anyway, it's a little off topic. <laughs> Is Tuvok a little too quick to, I mean, was it irresponsible for of him to, to suggest this mind melt? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. Should he have spent more time thinking about it, talking to Janeway about it? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess if anything, it shows the degree to which this was eating at him, you know, this whole notion. It's like, this is not in my wheelhouse. This is not in my realm of uh, understanding or acceptance. And so yeah, I've got not to find an answer. Yeah, we're going to yeah. find an answer and I'm gonna, here's the quickest way to get it, you know. I like that moment when he, you know, when he's behind that force field and, and it feels, that whole scene feels a little bit like, okay, yeah, he's going violent nutty. I get it. Mm-hmm. But, I wasn't really sure. It felt like it was meandering, I guess, until he came to the line about, um, you know, let me release the force field and let me, I'll I'll kill him for you. Mm -hmm. Then it kind of gave that whole scene kind of a, a point and a direction. And in a way it felt like it focused the the whole episode a little bit more too. And I always remember that. I always remember that because, because so much of this episode is the amazing Brad Dourif as Ensign Suter. And it's, it feels like it's trying to be, it, you know, it's supposed to be a Tuvok episode where our episodes are about our main characters, not about the guest stars, but it never feels as strong when it was, when it's just Tuvok until that line, mm-hmm. that's where, it, that's where it all comes together for me. And then I kind of see the, I can see the whole episode and what they were going for. And then, you know, that is really, that is a really good scene. You know, that, you know, he, He's saying, you know, you can just put me in my quarters and lock me up and we can, 
me and Edson Studer can play. What did he? What game did they say? Pumpernickel or something twice a week and <laughs> play cards. It was just kind of. I'm sure it was fun for him to do this. I mean, you know, playing a Vulcan, you know, you have to be emotionalist. So I'm sure it was fun for him to kind of do this and get out mm-hmm, of um, mm-hmm. get out of character and show some emotion. And you know, you see, he's very very good actor. I mean, and I'm sure that was um that was maybe not fun for him to do, but it was probably enjoyable. It was kind of a new take on the character finding that, that those inner demons that um, Stephen was talking about that, that are all inside of us. Yeah. I mean, the performances are very good here. T- Tim Russ is excellent. Of course, Brad Dourif is excellent. Um, Mulgrew is great. There's a lot of really good performances here. I, I do like the last thing I want to make sure to mention is, is that moment when she comes to uh, two box quarters and he's sitting there in the dark, you know, and I like that, you know, she comes through the door and she's, she assesses the situation a little bit and he tells her, you know, stay away, but she comes forward. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's just a, another testament to their relationship and um, her fondness for him. Uh, what is this episode about? Um, I think we've kind of touched on it a lot. I mean, you know, it's we've talked about you know inner demons and being able to control. You know, everybody has um, everybody has negative. Everybody gets negative feelings. Maybe they don't, not everybody has them, but everybody gets negative feelings. And we, as human beings, we all have these negative thoughts in that. But you know, the vast majority of us don't act on them. You know, we just they pop into your head and you deal with them the way you deal with them, and then they kind of go away. And um, talks about the mechanisms mechanisms of controlling those and being a, a part of a society that doesn't you know kill people or do harmful things to other just because things pop in your head um it also kind of talks about you know um what do you do with criminals you know we kind of get into the um this episode gets into the talk of you know of, of executing criminals how do you do do you rehabilitate them do you execute them how do you deal with somebody um like Suter who is clearly not well you know how do you go about that and it it tries to ask it tries to ask ask and answer those questions in this episode yeah i i agree completely it's it's the it's that kind of uh we all we all have we all have these thoughts and it's all about how we live with them and how we control ourselves and how we fit into society and um and yeah on a secondary level you know so how do we deal with people that can't control them and uh and it's it's a complex question. It's not uh, it's not like this episode answers all the questions. It just it presents them for us to ponder. I think, but it, it, I think it's good. It's interesting. Cool. Let's do six degrees for meld. Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Brad Dorif plays Ensign Suter. He will return for the two part of that ends season two and begins season three. Name it. Mm. I have definitely asked about this title yeah. on more than one occasion because there's something about the title of that two-parter that just sticks in my brain, and it seems to not stick in mine. Apparently, um, it's <laughs> it's one word. Yes, one word. Uh-huh. Not counting the you know part one and part two. All right. Gosh. I do not know why it does not stay with me. Um, uh, it's 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 not happening. No, it's not there. Adam, Steve, you got to get back to the basics. 
<laughs> oh, he can't knew it. <laughs> Basics. That's right. All right. Uh, Adam, I Sorry, couldn't Steve, help but... You know, it's, it's, it's rare that Steve doesn't know an episode title and that I yeah. actually do know one so apologies. do you only know it because I've asked about it so many times <laughs> uh, okay I could not help but ask this question so sorry name the doll for which Beddorf is famous for providing the voice oh um Chucky thank you Adam has two moving on Dreadnought, Season 2, Episode 17, Production Code 134, Original Air Date, February 12th, 1996, Directed by LeVar Burton, Written by Gary Hollins, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Cast Include Raphael Sabarge as Michael Jonas, Nancy Hauer as Samantha Wildman, Michael Spound as Lorem, and Dan Kern as Kellum. Years ago, when Bolana and Jakote were members of the Maquis fighting the Cardassians, the Maquis got a hold of a Cardassian missile. Bolana, on her own initiative, reprogrammed it to strike Cardassian territory. The weapon, renamed Dreadnought, was launched and never heard from again until Voyager chances upon it in the Delta Quadrant. Dreadnought, thinking it's still in the Alpha Quadrant, is headed directly to a similar tar- target, a populated planet called Resina 5. Here's a hypothetical situation for you. Suppose I've been telling you the truth all along, and you really are in the Delta Quadrant. Probability of being in the Delta Quadrant, 75,000 light years from last confirmed location, is negligible. Hypothetical, Dreadnought. It's a game, remember? Assume it's true for a moment. Dreadnought. Steve, want to start us on this one? Uh, sure. Yeah, um... I I do agree kind of what you alluded to earlier that this may be the weakest of the three episodes we're doing, but I still think it's entertaining and um, interesting. Um, this, I think this is one of these, it's really funny because I remember back uh, when it came out that I somehow kept running across it in reruns too. Like I saw it the first time and then like I would... Yeah, it's you know, that kind of episode. Yeah, for some reason it's like, oh, I've seen it. How many times have I seen this episode? I don't know why, but it feels like I've seen it more than m- most episodes. So it's like, it was really knew it back and forth, you know, but, um, you know, I, I like the notion of, you know, basically you've got, uh, B'Elanna's got this guilt complex thing for what she's done. And early on, um, because they established that she, um, of her own volition did this against Chakotay's wishes to some extent that it's all on her. There's not like a guilt thing on everybody and all that. It focuses on her, uh, combined with, um, her voice being the one on the on this thing that she's communicating with, and you've got this whole working through your your demons and your past and your guilt thing that kind of adds some extra layers to it, which I think is really interesting. So, um, and you also have, of course, it's a essentially you have the the the, the time clock, the the ticking clock going uh, because it's heading somewhere, and you've and there's a little bit of um, um, alluding to some stuff in past episodes where Janeway's communicating with this planet and they're talking about their reputation. We've established that in this season about how it's their the negative reputation is spreading and they're trying to correct that. Um, so yeah, I think this has got several layers and it's and it's and it's kind of fun and a, like a problem solving episode too. So it's, I think it's enjoyable. Adam, um, yeah, I pretty much agree with Steve. Um, you know, it's a 
it's a good solid episode. I'd kind of agree it's probably the the weakest of the three, but I mean, you know, if you put it up against most of the episodes in season two, it's um it's well above average. So that said, it's I I enjoyed this episode. I thought it was um it was pretty well paced. Um, we got a lot. Um, we got some you know we got some stuff about Belana. Um, I think she grows in this episode, so it's a solid episode for um, her character and her evolution in the show. Um, we kind of get to see, you kind of get this where Belana was when we from the beginning of the series um, to now. You know, you can kind of see the growth. Whereas in the beginning of the series, you know, she was very angry and she had kind of had maybe a, like a little bit of insecurity, and that came out through anger, and she was very vocal. And now we see her. We see her today in this episode, and you know she's a much more confident um, person, officer, and all that kind of thing. But Dreadnought kind of takes us all the way back to where she where she was, and so that's kind of an interesting um, to me. That's kind of an interesting dynamic because you got kind of get to see where a character was and where they are now, and and how they've have grown and kind of dealt with it. So I think it's a good um, kind of, I don't know benchmarks the right way to say it but it's a good benchmark for her character to kind of see where she was and where she is now it's fun to hear her talk to herself <laughs> yeah. it makes me it makes me chuckle and i i think she did a good job with that computer voice because it's well, it's very major Barrett. it's very robotic <laughs> yeah but it, yeah it's like matter of fact but rounded i don't know i like it <laughs> uh side note i have to admit it feels it felt really good to see like all those Cardassian colors and logos and the architecture, right? Because it felt like DS nine. <laughs> right, right, yeah. You know, it's just like, oh, this is nice. <laughs> this is like comfort food right here. So yeah, I like that. Kind of one of the down notes I had on it. I mean, I mean, and don't get me wrong. If if they didn't do this, the episode wouldn't work. But I mean, I was kind of you know, watching DS9 and knowing about the Cardassians, I'm like, you know, this, they have this invincible weapon that, you know, where the shields can't be, you know, penetrated or anything like that. I'm like, I don't remember the Cardassians being that um, terrifying, but so, but I mean, they didn't do that. This way, you know, this episode wouldn't work. They just destroyed it right off the bat. There's a scene early on in engineering. Torres is talking to Tom Paris and a little bit of that moment is the same multi-episode story arc we're saying we don't like about Paris, but it starts off with her telling Tom, like you were saying uh, about how this is actually all her fault and Chakotay wasn't entirely truthful in that staff meeting earlier. So there's kind of a moment of vulnerability there, her speaking to Paris and then he, his response to her, it was fun. It was the first time I've, I kind of felt shades of their future relationship mm-hmm. that we, you know, we all know is coming, but it was the first scene where I really felt like, yeah, I could see it. I've complained often about, you know, kind of the forced pair ups some of the time, but I always thought they, they generally worked and uh, their chemistry generally worked. And here's a, Here's an example of that to me, an early example in Voyager. So, but, see, but the sad part about this, Brian, he was actually lying to her. <laughs> he was fitting it, fitting in, and doing all right. He's doing <laughs> his undercover thing. So, but he does he does respond about what she's to what she's saying first before he talks about his own storyline that we don't like. <laughs> I didn't think this, but I've read this. Um, some people maybe thought this felt a little bit too much like prototype did you think that at all 
Hmm. I think it's because they were close together. My prototype was what, um, what, three or four episodes ago? Could that be why? You know, I guess there's the, I don't think it's like it really, but yeah, they are close together. You don't see, it's not like there's a whole lot of episodes centering on her character. And talking to one's own voice on a ship is maybe just a step away from talking to a automaton sounding robotic guy. You know, I don't know. Maybe that's what people are grasping at. I think this is a better episode than prototype. Yeah. So that was kind of the prototype. Yeah, I think it's just because they're kind of mm-hmm. close together. I mean, you know, she, you know, throughout every season, you know, you get like, um, you know, a, a Paris centric or, you know, you get character centric episodes. They usually don't fall really close together, I guess, unless you're the captain. We see Voyager uh, self-destruct sequence. Yeah. Not it's like nearly. Just, yeah. Janeway just says a few things and it's just her. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not nearly as exciting or required, requires uh, as much as many people and authorization as other Starfleet vessels. You know, it kind of makes you think, like, uh, you know, I hope she doesn't like talk in her sleep or something, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. some kind of confirmation or something, you know. You you have to make the the bridge dark if you're gonna self destruct. That's the rule. Yeah. It's gonna get dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like lower the lights or start in the self-destruct sequence. <laughs> That's right. Destruct zero. <laughs> Is this episode about anything? Um I guess it could be, you know, about correcting your past, you know, the mistakes that you made in the past. Even though maybe you've grown as a person and you're not that person anymore, you might still have to deal with the repercussions of the mistakes that you made in the past. Um, that's kind of how I kind of how I saw it. And it's kind of like if you made a mistake ten years ago, and even though you're not that person today, you might still have to deal with the repercussions of that mistake that you made back then. And it's um over still overcoming that mistake. It's kind of what I yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think so too. I, you know, it's um like I said, like I alluded to at the beginning. You know, especially because they gave it her voice and all of this, she had to. Um, it's kind of like just just you know, deal with her own past reflection in a way and, um, and deal with the guilt and overcome it and so forth. It's, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure there may have been ways to make that connection more complex throughout the episode, but I think they did a pretty good job of, to me, that's, that's what it's about. Yeah. I guess on a side note, you could say, you know, um, cleaning up one's reputation because I mean, I guess Voyager does kind of make a friend with this, um, true, this planet Mm -hmm. by the end. Yeah. All right, let's do six degrees for Dreadnought. Adam has two. Um, I have a couple of silly questions today. So, Adam, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Okay, so on the next one, Steve goes first. Adam. Dan Kern plays First Minister Kellen. He played Lieutenant Dean in Next Gen's We'll Always Have Paris. What season was that? No uh, no relation to Tom Paris. <laughs> um, <laughs> season two? No. Uh, Steve? Season one? Yes. 
Roxanne Dawson plays the Dreadnought's computer voice. She also plays what recurring character on Voyager? Why did I even why did I even ask that? It's like so stupid that it's not even funny. Milana Torres? Thank you. <laughs> wow. Uh, Steve has tied it up. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, well, all right. Uh, two to two, moving on. Death Wish, Season 2, Episode 18, Production Code 130, Original Air Date, February 19th, 1996. Directed by James L. Conway, story by Sean Piller, teleplay by Michael Piller, music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Raphael Sabarge as Michael Jonas, Peter Dennis as Isaac Newton, Maury Ginsburg as Maury Ginsburg, John Delancey as Q, Jonathan Frakes as William Riker, and Garrett Graham as Quinn. <laughs> Voyager comes across a comet, inside which there is a living being. The man turns out to be a member of the Q Continuum. Q, a.k.a. Quinn, thanks the Voyager crew for freeing him from his imprisonment, then tries to commit suicide unsuccessfully. When Q appears, Quinn requests Federation Asylum from Janeway, when Q wants to reimpose the Q Continuum's sentence of imprisonment. You want me to prove to you that I suffer in terms that you can equate with pain or disease? Look at us. When life has become futile, meaningless, unendurable, it must be allowed to end. Can't you see, Captain? For us, the disease is immortality. Death Wish. What an excellent episode. I remember loving this episode so much at the time. And other everybody else seemed to like it, too. But I felt like a lot of people didn't love it as nearly as much as I did. I don't know. I This is just my kind of Star Trek. This is the Star Trek that I love. This is mostly a couple of people sitting in a room and talking with outstanding writing, right? And great, great performances and really, really good, good writing. Immediately, for example, that, there was that, that scene in the... That Desert Road manifestation, that Desert Road version of the Continuum... The dialogue, the writing in that scene was so good and so dense that, like, I wasn't able to take notes because it required so much of my brain to, <laughs> to you know, to follow the scene, to follow the conversation and the dialogue. That's my example of, I don't know, we, you talk about duet and, and just those kind of episodes that, that the writing is good and the dialogue is great and it's just some people sitting and talking and then you've got great actors to do it. That's the Star Trek that I love. This is my kind of Star Trek. I love this episode. I think it's fantastic. Adam, what are your th- first thoughts on Death Wish? Um, I agree. It so, sucks. Um, no, I can't stand it. Why do we have to watch now? It's a. It's definitely a good episode. I mean, um, Q is one of my favorite characters in all of the, um, you know, in all the Star Trek series. It's a. Not talking about Quinn, talking about Q. I mean, he's devious, he's chauvinistic, he's nasty, um, yet you still like him and you still, because he has this, this inner, you know, this inner thing comes out where he's actually trying to help you. And um, that comes out. John DeLance did a, did a great job in this episode. I mean, he's all of the nasty, terrible things in this episode. I mean, he's terrible to Janeway, but you can, can forgive him because that's just how he is. So, Yes, I I like the questions that they ask in this episode. I mean, you know, is being omnipotent and being immortal all that it's cracked up to be? Um, 
once you've learned everything and once you've experienced anything is is living still worth living um, if there's nothing else to grow upon so I like those questions that they ask on the other on the same turn I'm like I'm not I don't know if you know because they asked that question is Quinn suffering is he going through mental anguish and suffering so I can't help on the flip side of this episode think to myself like is he really suffering I mean he didn't want to be immortal anymore and so he got that and he still committed suicide now I understand what the episode is trying to do and is trying to say and you know what they're trying to do with the Q continuum and what they you know do later on in, in the Voyager um, series but I'm still not still not convinced just because of the character you know, he's Tesla zest for life. He's, I don't know, I guess he's not depressed. So I don't, I don't know. I can kind of still see the flip side of this is like, why did he, you know, he got what he wanted. He got his mortality. And, you know, I'm not sure, still not sure if I agree with him still committing suicide there at the end. I understand why they did it, but I'm not sure I agree with it. This is an episode that's uh, another good example of something we've talked about before, where just talking about the episode you're talking about what it's about. And that's an example of a great episode. It usually is sure. anyway. Uh, Steve? Sure. I, uh, I, yeah, I thought it was, uh, as we've kind of discussed it, I think it's good because of the, the topics they're bringing up, how it kind of lends itself to discussion and philosophical debate. And also because it's, it does a lot of, it does so well what, what Star Trek often does well, or these kind of, you know, you, you have a, a heavy topic, you have, um, you know, kind of courtroom activity, those tend to work well with Star Trek. Um, uh, but this is, it's, this is different enough where it doesn't feel like a rehash of other courtroom episodes or something like that too. You have a, a character that's recurring throughout the franchise and it's a, and it's, and it's done well, you know, the, the only time Q appeared in DS9, it didn't really work, but this, this does work. And so, yeah, it's got a lot going for him for this episode. Um, that notion that we kind of started to allude to, it's, it, it makes you think about how subjective the whole thing is, you know I mean? So basically do this question, do we have the right to end our life? And does anyone else have the right to tell us that our reason for doing so is good or bad? Um, when you combine that with, sometimes the difficulty of establishing is is any kind of mental illness at play you know and it, it's there's just a, there's a lot going on there it's um yeah it's really interesting well it's it's very thoughtful that they give and from a writing point of view i mean it, they really make the stakes very clear you know janeway has to choose between putting him in prison for life or eternity really. giving him the uh, option to commit suicide you know it's pretty clear stakes pretty crappy of q to offer to send voyager home <laughs> to earth if she rules in their favor it, it's one of those things you think about like that must have always been a difficult thing for them because just introducing q at all mm -hmm. that's that's somebody who can snap his fingers and voyager is in orbit of earth so even putting him in the orbit of the show, <laughs> they yeah. had to find a clever way to make sure that was never really on the table. I, I think in a way, him offering to send her there puts that, it's like that, you know, hang a lamp on it kind of thing. And it makes it so that, she, of course, she has to choose the way she does, which to her is the right choice. And to make that statement. Well, it's, a, it's kind of, like, you know, we've seen this in Trek a lot. You know, you have to put your your morals above what you want 
you know, it's, and that's what Janeway has um, consistently done, you know, throughout Voyager and so far. And she doesn't, you know, she's she doesn't back away from what she um, she believes in. Even if the gain, even if the even if she breaks her morals, she gains something. She did. She won't do it. Fun know. little Riker bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure it was necessary, but it didn't hurt the episode in any way. So right. okay, sure. He didn't. Who directed this episode? He didn't direct it, did he? It was uh, James Conway. Okay, yeah. So nice of him to agree to do it. Uh, what do we think about uh, Quinn? He's good. Um, he works. You know, he, he he feels like a, a Q continuum. You know, he has the you know the characteristics, the same characteristics of John Delance's character, but I mean with a different kind of sensibility. He's so, just enough of an arrogant boob. You mean? Right. <laughs> I mean, nobody's as arrogant, nobody's a bit as arrogant as John DeLance's Q, which is, you know, he pulls it off great. You know, the scenes that he has with Janeway, especially in her room, you know, you know, he's, you know, you had to see that coming when they go to the bedroom and Janeway's sleeping, you know, how many times did he wake up in Picard's bed or a room or that kind of thing? So you knew that was coming. God, he was a chauvinistic ass to her, but that's his character, so you can't say like, "Oh, they shouldn't have done that." That's just who. That's that's John Delance's Q character. He's his, he's an ass to everybody. You do think that if they did that scene today, it would probably be a little different. I don't know because that's the character. Um, I don't think I don't think it's out of line. I mean, you know, you have an omnipotent being who has, you know, omnipotent power. So yeah, of course he's going to be arrogant and he's not going to respect anybody's feelings or sexuality or anything like that. So I think it, I think it would still work today just because that's the way the character has been set up. And it's not, I don't think it's, it's not in a derogatory way and it's not in a demean. He doesn't present John Delance doesn't present is presented in a derogatory or demeaning way. So I think that's kind of the difference. One of the cool things about this episode, unlike say when we were talking about Mel, then you had Brad Dorif, the guest star, and I specifically said, you know, you, you, this has to be a Tuvok episode because you don't make the, the episode about the guest star. This episode, Death Wish, I certainly think you could make the argument that it's about John Delancey's Q. Mm-hmm. I think you could make that argument. And this is a case where I think that would probably be okay. It's it's enough. It's got enough Janeway and Tuvok and stuff. that it, I mean, it's a Voyager episode, but John Delancey has been playing Q for so long on so many episodes of Star Trek that you can kind of get away with having an episode about him almost like he's one of the main stars. And I think that's what sets this episode apart. We started seeing that throughout, like, say, Next Gen, maybe not the DS9 episode, but throughout Next Gen, we started seeing the episodes, you know, they had to do something with him. He couldn't just always show up and be in, you know, asshat. (laughs) <laughs> so we had stuff like when he him becoming mortal and you know learning some things and some changes to his character and i think this episode probably does that better than any other because it's almost more natural and it gets there in a more thoughtful kind of honest way and you and you don't even realize it as you're watching it until you see i think it's that it's that desert scene is the first kind of scene where you see John Delancey kind of, you know, his reaction to some of the things that Quinn is saying, and you you start to kind of realize, you know, this this maybe this does mean a little bit something to him. And then of course by the end when he's the one who gives Quinn the 
poison and he admits to it and he's just, you know, he says, uh, you know, I did it. I did it for him. And you really see some change and some growth in his character here. And I think this episode is all the better for that. And it makes sure that you leave what should be a pretty dark ending uh, on some kind of an odd positive note in a way. Well, it's kind of strange. If you take Q, you know, let's, let's do away with DS9. We'll do away with that episode. Q's role, I could look at Q's role in um, Next Gen as growing Picard's character. He was he he was there to grow Picard's character. When is in DS9, we see we see a change and we see a growth in the actual John DeLance's Q character. So that's kind of the different um the different dynamic that we have from both the series. I kind of felt. All right, so we've certainly talked about it, but just to sum it up, what is this episode about? Assisted suicide. Do you have the right to um? to take your own life and you know does society have the right to tell you you can't or cannot do that um you know they talk about it as the basically is society more important than the individual i think a lot of that a lot of the questions is asked in this episode is the where where does the individual's rights end and where does society's rights yeah i mean it's there's a lot going on but i think that's the crux of it right that um the the individual versus the you know society as a whole and then specifically what they're addressing is the uh the the way and the time by which we end our existence is that is that a choice for us is that something we can decide or is the society telling us um no that's not in your realm of choices you can make for yourself you know and um um, and also, you know, a lot of a lot of things going on there. Questions like, what is suffering? Do, do we have the right to define suffering to somebody else? It's it's um, it's almost like, you know, like beauty is in the high eye of the beholder. Well, you know, any kind of emotional situation or perspective is in the eye of the person experiencing it. Is in the is in that person, and no one can really know what that's like. So. It's uh, it's it's interesting. It's complex, you know. And and when and and then they raise questions of, well, in cases of mental illness, does society can they step in and and dictate how someone lives or how someone chooses to live or die? But how do you define that? And yeah, so it's 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 quite interesting. Hey, real quick, we didn't really mention it, but um, Tuvok, Tim Russick and Tuvok, he was you know, he was really good in this episode. The part that he played, you know, um, I I. Steve talking there. I really like the scene in the mess hall when Tuvok is not really agreeing with with Quinn and then tells him why. So I just wanted to bring up that scene. I, mm-hmm. I wrote that mm-hmm. down. It was a good scene. And, um, you know, Quinn saying, you surprised me. And that's a, a gift. So I thought Tuvok's character, he was, it was very subtle, but it was very good and a very pivotal role in this, in this episode. Let's do six degrees for... Death Wish. Um, who did I say I had to go first now? Because I think me. First. Yeah, because you. Okay. Uh, Steve Garrett Graham plays the Q that becomes Quinn. He also played a hunter in an episode of Star Trek called Captive Pursuit. What series was that? So say that one more time. He played a. a he played a, a hunter 
in an episode of Star Trek called Captive Pursuit. What Star Trek series was that episode? Hmm. Voyager? No. Adam? Enterprise? No. <laughs> DS9. I believe he was a hunter of Tosk. That was my hmm. first thought, but I thought it was a trick question, so I went with Enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Adam. Yes. Peter Dennis plays Sir Isaac Newton. He will later play Admiral Hendricks in the Voyager episode Friendship 1. Name the Earth probe at the center of this episode. Friendship 1. Yes, I told you they each got a silly question today. <laughs> All right, Adam takes it for the day. 3-1, that was close. I mean, 3-2, that was close. Um, is there anything, anybody, any news this week? I feel like not. Nothing good. Did you guys watch that um, Toys That Made Us episode I recommended last time? Not yet. I have not, not seen yet. it. Did you at least put it in your Netflix queues? Yeah, I've, so I've, you don't forget? I, watched, I watched a couple of the first seasons, so yeah, it's in my list. Yeah, there's too much stuff in my queue, so it's kind of eventually gets pointless to keep putting stuff in there. Yeah, it's kind of the same way, but I'll get to it eventually. <sighs> All right, folks. Uh, you can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash trekcompanion. You can leave us a review on iTunes. That's how people find us. That's always great. So thanks for spending an hour with us, and until next time which will be two weeks when we come back to talk about the next three episodes of Voyager's second season. Take it easy. Bye, guys. See you. I passed it.